Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich to celebrate the 150th anniversary of BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more passenger or SUV tyres. Aaron Habgood and Patrick Dangerfield joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redman. Good morning, Patrick. A nice win last week for the Cattery, which uh, puts you instead for a big game tonight against Brisbane. How are you feeling? Certainly does. It's a uh, huge weekend of footy. Clearly, oh, it's it's quite extraordinary. Actually, we were talking about it during the week a few of the a few of the players, and it's we celebrated. I think it was Monday night or, or, or Tuesday night. The fact that it had been a hundred days away, um, living in a, a hotel room, um, which hasn't been you know it's been. Um, Indifferent at times, especially with a couple of kids. Um, not complaining to um, to anyone from Victoria, though, given the lockdown that everyone there has been under. Um, but it's it's been a pretty wild journey. Um, obviously, a huge amount of work goes into to competing and executing and playing well, and then giving yourself a chance to play finals. So, you know, the the four remaining teams have certainly um, thoroughly deserve the position that they're in and, and we give ourselves a chance tonight to you know to play against the Brisbane Lions who um, you know have played really well at the the Gabba obviously it's their home deck and they've they've um, been able to play at home for the majority of the year so the challenge is is in front of us um, and for us it's why not let's let's absolutely give it a red hot crack and you never know what might happen the flying bull that's what we're going to call you from now on how you are how you going to perform tonight a couple of you were you were running around very straight lines actually on the weekend patrick very straight lines i was very impressed with you you pulled up all right no i pulled up well it's not hard when you don't move out of the goal square didn't spend too much time in (laughs) anywhere other than there but um it's always nice to play deep, Redmond, when uh, when the ball's coming down thick and fast. Nah, well, I'm looking forward tonight. And like I said to you last week, go Cats. Good luck, Patrick, and to your team. But more importantly, sorry, more importantly, fishing. Uh, shed rebuild, Patrick. I know you've got a bit going on with your house at the moment. Um, I'm going to talk a little about my shed. I'm going to talk a little bit about your shed. Well, you're going to talk a little about your shed in a minute's time. I spent a couple of weeks ago with the old man. We uh, built new fishing racks for the shed and... I was going to buy some, and I'm like, oh, should I buy some? And I'm like, COVID, windy, raining, nah, stuff it. 
I'm I'm a I'm a chip I'm a chippy I'm a chippy. So uh, I picked up my first left-handed screwdriver uh, for the first time with my dad, and uh, I've never used a tool in my life. Let's be honest. And we actually made I think I can't remember how many we made. I think is not 18 18 rod holders hot uh, rod holder rack, which would have probably cost myself probably I reckon in the end it would have been about 16 or 18 dollars for the wood. It was just like off cuts of decking. How long did how long did you spend at Bunnings? Because generally when I get in the mood for sort of, and I haven't for a while because we've obviously been rebuilding the house, but when it's like, okay, I'm going to clean up the shed, I end up going to Bunnings, spending about four hours there, um, buy a whole lot of things I don't need and forget the one thing that I went there to get in order to, in order to build whatever I was building. <laughs> like I said to you, I'm not the handyman to build stuff, so it's sort of like going shopping with a woman. I get in and get out pretty quick because I've got no idea about building things. My old man's actually a robotics engineer, very intelligent man, and didn't rub off on me, obviously. But he, <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, he, uh, we just we literally grabbed on it and we grabbed just decking. Basically, half of it was offcuts to tell you the honest truth, and a couple of feet for it. And it was, I think it was about eighteen bucks in total. And Dad's got all the tools at his place and stuff. So we ended up building this rack holds eighteen rods. And in the end, we've worked out we can actually fit in between now because the, the timber that we've had sits out further. We can actually double up the rack, so we can actually probably get over thirty in there, depending on how far. Some will sit bigger and wider than the others, so we'll measure it out. So we'll probably end up with thirty to thirty-five rods in this rack. And I'm not joking. For it took us a few, a couple of hours, probably two and a half, three hours, but for nearly say twenty bucks and Dad's all Dad's uh, equipment and his. Um, screws and nuts and bolts and everything. Thanks, Dad. It, literally twenty bucks, and I had these. It's, it's a crack and rack. I'll have to send you a photo of it. So that was pretty fun. I know you're designing your shed now, and I'm tipping the uh, the shed's going to contain a little bit of fishing equipment. Patrick, shells. What are you building? Yeah, well, the the challenge at the moment is sort of. I don't mind um, collecting tools. It doesn't necessarily mean that I use them all the time, but I, I like having them. Um, and we're going to review. Um, the storage system in our review later uh, in Reg Review today on Real Adventures. And you can get all of our uh, Reg Reviews through our podcasts and wherever you download your podcasts or on our Real Adventures app. Um, but I'm actually kidding mine out with a, a modular system um, from Pinnacle, which I found them at Bunnings. <laughs> and um, it's a great – everything's in, interconnecting. And obviously, you've got your industrial sort of um, – shelf set up um kids toys all that sort of thing um but they've obviously got great benches as well as well as the um the the backing systems that you basically screw onto plaster and then you can poke through um all your different hooks that you have for drills screws um and alike so um pegboard sorry that was what i was i was trying to get at so um found them through Bunnings and that's sort of what we've been working at at the moment um, bit of fishing news around the place what about Ikea you should get a couple of flat packs Patrick <laughs> I, I I tell you what and, and I'll be very blunt um, certainly these come in, in in flat pack form the industrial shelves do um, but there's other parts that don't there's drawer units pegboards obviously come flat and you screw them to the wall there's timber workbenches um mobile cabinets which come pre-made i far prefer the pre-made as you said because they're a nightmare to put together and just one thing i reckon you can add to a shed which sells a thousand stories and i've got it at my place is a fishing board 
like up on the wall pat the chair like and get something on the wall that you can whether you can uh, whether you can just like sticky tape to your wall if you want to put um uh, pins through it or whatnot whatever you want to do you can go buy something from bunny i'm sure bunnings will have something that for your, suit your needs but how good is it having photos up on the wall when your mates come over and they look at it and they go how good's that like look at that or when'd you get that or look at this and that so if you're a fisherman you got it. i think nearly everyone has a, has a has a fishing wall at their place and they pat i don't like to brag i'm very humble unlike you redmond um Let's get into a bit of fishing news, though. Um, Extreme Boats, they're a New Zealand boat manufacturer. Paul Worsling's actually just... um, He's just received delivery of his 795, I think it is. It's an absolute weapon. Monohull with twin 200 yammies. And they're just about to go into the... um, into the twin hull market. And I I found this quite fascinating, Redmond. I want to get your opinion on it. Why, Why would... A, a really well-known and well-respected um, boat manufacturer like Extreme move into um, the trailable catamaran market when they've done so well with what they've done with their mono hulls? Is it is it just expanding the portfolio? Why would you look at someone like Extreme and then look at, you know, why would they go into that sort of market? Because they're very, very different boats, clearly. Really? They're they're an extremely good boat on the water. Uh, look, they're probably one of the top aluminium boats going around on the water from New Zealand, especially as well. So, they're a fantastic boat, and that's a really good question. I it only have to be to expand, wouldn't it? Like their boats are as good as they get. Is it just to expand and or create a new market? I guess you could say. I thought um, generally you're a you're either a twin hull. Um, connoisseur or your mono hull you don't have sort of the fi- uh, the, the toes in each sort of market because you yeah well generally it's nah twin hulls are no good it's monos or if you own a twin hull it's like there is nothing that's better riding than a twin hull boat you can't go with anything else well and driving twin hull boats it's there you need to know how to drive them and everyone will say this to you i've had mates that have bought them and sold them within minutes um and i've also had people that buy them and they're the best things in the world so yeah (laughs) that so that was me so i remember one of the first boat that i bought over in in adelaide um was a markham whaler 4.5 it had twin 40 horsepower mariners and it may have well it may as well have been like going fishing in a shower I've never been so wet driving a boat. And this thing had full clears. It was like a mini game boat. It was just, I loved it. It looked spectacular. But it sucked water back onto the deck like nothing I've ever seen. And it, and it used to walk as well once it, once it got up and going. So my foray into twin hull boats didn't, didn't 4.5. Great little, great. Stable as all hell, but I was it was amazed how wet it was. I just couldn't believe how it would suck water back in. So, yeah, my foray didn't last super long, and then it was it was onto something different. The smuggler type, exactly. Um, following following on from uh, a bit of fishing news as well, Redmond. There's fads that are about to be uh, released in New South Wales. So the New South Wales Department of Fisheries. Um, they're preparing for the 2020-2021 FAD season deployment. So obviously the off-season, the off-season for them uh, involves cleaning and maintaining all the FADs and buoys, checking the, the GPS systems on the individual buoys, replacing those and, and everything that's um, 
that's attached to them. And we saw last year um, in Aries Inlet, Redmond, where the where the fad was um, was first deployed. There, it actually got lost and ended up halfway on the way to lawn so that fisheries had to come and get it so obviously it, it's clear um, it's a really important part around the maintenance of the buoys but an exciting time for fishermen right around the country when they start to get deployed because they really do kickstart the fishing don't they serious question before i get into that is it buoys or buoys <laughs> it depends if you're a yachty or a pat <laughs> what did i say Boys, I mean boys. Right, no, answer the question. <laughs> well, they are an extremely important. Sorry, mate. They're an extremely important attribute <laughs> on the New South Wales coast. They catch so many fish for anglers. They are respected along the whole New South New South Wales coast. But there's also, when I say also, not natural natural attractors as well as them in them are in themselves is traps along the New South Wales coast. So the trapman Bermagui puts traps down. Anything that holds sort of life will hold. Uh, will hold pelagic fish. So mahi-mahi, dolphin fish, they are probably one of the most sought-after species around the New South Wales fads. And you've got to remember, depending on how, how, high far, how high up you go along New South Wales coast, the species change and whatnot. Bait fish hold around these fads. They think it's protection, causes the mahi-mahi to hold. It also causes marlins to hang around there. It will cause all pelagic fish to hang around the New South Wales fads. But you don't... They do, but they don't necessarily, they don't aggregate right on the, the boys themselves, do they? So it's important that you, you don't have to go and fish right on the direct, like literally next to it. It's in the general vicinity that those fish will aggregate. So you don't just have to line up boat after boat after boat once they get deployed and think, unless I'm right on these boys, I'm not going to catch anything. Yeah, you're spot on. And um, I was fortunate enough to get a lot of mahi mahi off the Eden fad last year. And we basically drove up to the fad. We had a bit of current there, which marlin don't like but the dolphin fish do and we'll start in say 50 meters past it and we'll just drift all the way through and once you sort of got maybe 100 meters past it you'd come back up and do that drift again and quite often when you get the dolphin fish going they'll sort of float with you and keep following with you off those fads um they do sit close at times but your marlin and that will that you'll mark them up all around that if they're it's not I'm not saying every day but it can that they will hold fish and i did a trip in uh where was i in venuatu uh numerous years ago and they first went straight to a fad, and uh, we had a blue marlin that come up on the come up on the teaser, hooked the blue marlin, we ended up jumping it off, and that was sitting off the fad. So they work right around the, our country of Australia and right around the world. So they're well done to New South Wales for deploying them again. Obviously, the whales migrate up and down the coast, and uh, now they're sort of starting to slow down a little bit. We'll start to see some fishing off them done. Uh, your week in fishing. Let's get to it before we get to our first break. Uh, if you snap a few whiting, it's been interesting for you, Redmond. Uh, yeah, great week, to be honest with you. We saw some beautiful weather uh, here in Victoria. A little bit cold at times, but uh, majority, it was really nice. Um, we got some beautiful snapper offshore. I managed to get three really nice fish up around that, well, five and a half, five, a five and a half, four point five, and then one around that two to two and a half kilo. I didn't weigh any of the fish, just rough estimates. Uh, Nice gummy too offshore, which is great to see. As always, talk about those snapper grounds. The gummies will always be on those grounds on the snapper. They tend to be a lot smaller. Not so much that you don't often get those big thumping 30s, 30 kilos. You get those sort of, we'll call them eaters, that 5 to 12 kilo around that size, Pat. Also, you've got the whiting in Port Phillip Bay. My God, they are very, very good at the moment. Very, very good. It's great to see so many people getting amongst these fish. Um, Yeah, they're quite easy to catch and they are beautiful size 
Squid. Now, we spoke about them. I told you they were going to get better and better. Now, Pat, you haven't experienced this because you're living the high life in the Gold Coast while us peasants in Melbourne are living in our houses, basically. But I tell you what... Most people live in their houses, but go on. Well, we can't even go outside for to check the plants. <laughs> they... um. People are very smart in regional Victoria because there's a lot of people working from boats, not home. Let's put it that way. So I'm seeing more boats out than ever. And I think this is affecting the calamari fishery just a little bit because during the week in that calm weather, I have never seen on a Wednesday 120 boats in the Lonsdale Bight around midday. <laughs> so there's a lot of people working from boats with their laptops, which is, I'm, to be honest with you, it's great to see everyone getting out. I'm enjoying it, but it has been a bit slow, the squid fishery. I think it is just the boat traffic, but they will get thicker and thicker in the next coming months. So yeah, it's been a pretty good week here in Vic other than uh, for on the fishing side of things. We've got a huge show of Real Adventures coming your way this morning. The Social Club is up next. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. And don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app. It has all our latest podcasts, fishing news, tips and recipes. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Before we get into the Social Club Redmond, your boat update, it's not far away now. I think you're picking it up at the end of this week, start of next week. I've only ever spoke good about Melbourne Marine Centre and Andrew and the boys up there, and I gave him, I gave him a week to get my boat fitted, and it's been two, so... Not that happy, Pat. It's it's. I expected I expected a week uh, a week so weeks work done down at Melbourne Marine Centre there, and uh, they've only done nearly everything in two weeks. So now I'm pretty happy well, with the boys down there. <laughs> you expect to jump the the queue every time you have anything. You you know what you've you've turned into me. You think you're a queue jumper? Wonder who's rubbing off on top of it. uh, uh, Might be spending a bit too much time with you. Well, not time on the phone. No, the guys down at Melbourne Marine have been bloody terrific. They, uh, I joke around saying a week's notice, which is never going to happen. It is not far away. When I say it's not far away, it could I could get the phone call any minute to come pick this up. It'd be probably another week now. I think at the at the most, I reckon from what I spoke to Andrew, all my Garmin gear is in. I actually managed, Pat, I haven't said it, we spoke about it, I managed to get two 10-inch screens in the dash. I did it. I got it in there. Andrew and the team fitted it out, and it looks amazing. I got the V. I was going to say, well well done to you. You managed to do that. You managed to get Andrew to do that. Terrific. The, the, the stainless is on now. Uh, my snapper axe is such. Uh, they got the... Um, they ended up getting uh, the through-hull transducer uh, in as well, which is awesome, which is a big uh, factor to me. They had to get the, get the flare done properly, uh, and also the Bimney and Clears are well and truly on, and the engine is on. Important to note that the reason that you've gone the through-hull transducer, uh, it, it really does help eliminate the noise that you'll get from the disturbances of water and movement if you were to just screw something onto the back of the boat. Yeah, you're spot on. For the novices at home. Yeah, yeah it's... To be honest with you, nowadays, pretty much, it's through hull's the go. It's uh, technology's come through with it, through the goods, and basically, <clears throat> it's um, it's unbelievable the picture that you're going to get running a through hull transducer. Not only are you going to not have as much interference when you're accelerating and trying to sound around, but when you're actually travelling at speed, and I do this a hell of a lot. So if I'm heading up to your place, back down to Mogs, and I'm leaving at Queenscliff with the boat, come up and say good day to you, and chase a few kingfish out the front of your place for a day. I travel there with my sonar on the whole time and I'm marking up the bottom the whole way over there. And if I can sit at 28, 30 knots 
and I'm talking about a nice calm day, and mark the bottom crystal clear, I can still see pinnacles and lumps and bumps all the way over to your plate, the whole way along the bottom. So it is vital to have the clearest picture you can. The through hull is going to give that. Transom mounts will still... uh, yeah, transom mounts will still work relatively good. Pat, people fit them out. It's important to where you put the tra- uh, your transom mount transducer. But you need to understand that your through hull is the way to go these days. And you and I are actually... We had a phone call last week and we chatted with Garmin and we're actually talking about transducers with, with your vessel. And uh, you're actually contemplating getting... Uh, you're going to have a high and low wide two transducers there, but you're actually contemplating getting uh, your, uh, your imaging, your side imaging, uh, which is through hull which is hard to explain here, but it's through hull transducers. And you actually need one either side of your hull if you go this way, isn't it? Rather than on the back of your trans, screwed into your transom. So you actually... They better do a bloody good job when they put it in. Otherwise, the thing's sinking. You're literally going to have four through hull transducers. But due to the fact that you've got a V on the side of your boat, you can't have... Because uh, you, you're looking out to the side with your side imaging, you can't have um, you can't have it just one transducer. You have to have two either side to get that quality of picture. So it is worth doing if you're contemplating going through hull. So yeah, definitely, definitely speak to your local dealer and make sure you get that done if possible. Social Club, Patrick? Social Club, if you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you're sending it into our Real Adventures social pages on Facebook or Instagram. Or better yet, send it into our Real Adventures app, which is new in the App Store now. Uh, first question is from Timothy. What sort of jigs do you use for kingfish, Aaron, once they start to make their way down with these warmer currents? The first thing I'm going to say to you is with regarding kingfish, and you'll back me up here, Pat. Uh, I got stuck into you a few years or longer than a few years ago now about kingfish, and the number one rule, what is it? Have everything. <laughs> Literally, have everything. Uh, I've got a better answer. Don't fish for them because they're the most temperamental fish in the ocean. They, they're a great fish to fish for, but they are a nightmare to prepare. Like it's it's great if they come up to you, but but going out and targeting them, they're they're such a drain. <laughs> they can be pricks at times, like you said, and that's why it's be prepared. But to answer your question, when I say prepare, just quickly, we're talking. Um, we're talking micro jigs, different styles of actually jigs, jigging jigs. Um, we've got different styles of live bait, squid, uh, slimies. You've also got poppers, which I'm not a massive fan of, but like you, I like to get my lure under the water a little bit. So your subsurface lures. There's so many different attributes to have to, to chase these kingfish, squid strips and everything. But to answer your question for your jigs, depending on where you're fishing and your size, if you're in the heads, you're not going to go there with an 80-gram jig because the tide's too strong. If the tide's running towards the slack, you might end up with 120 gram. But if it's running hard, you might end up with 180 gram. If you're offshore, out the front of Mogs Creek, Pat, next to you in 30 metres, and there's kingfish underneath you, you might only have a micro jig running your 40 gram. Or you might go up to 180 because you want a heavier, sharper action. And like I said to you before, they're kingfish. Bricks of fish at times. <laughs> so be ready with all sorts of jigs and whatnot that you do need. To, uh, to have catch them. Next question is for you, Patrick, and it is from Casey. Patty, I'm trying to get some Xmas shopping done nice and early for my husband. How much should I spend on a fly fishing rod for him to get started as he's very interested in this over the coming months? If you're just getting into fly fishing and you've never done it before, um, the best thing that I can recommend is just set yourself up with something extremely basic and I'd go certainly on the cheaper side of things. JM Gillies have uh, a purpose-made um, uh, nine-foot, six-weight um, 
fly combo set and whether it's Otto's Tackle World or Anaconda, you can. it's sort of that um, mid couple hundred buck range, 150 to sort of $200, I think you can get them for just off the top of my head. Um, and that is definitely something that I would, I would look to, to go into. You can go the, the top end of town and spend, you know, literally thousands of dollars on rods like a beautiful sage rod. And I would only do that if you're really going to get serious with fly fishing. Um, wonderful rod, I've got one myself, but... I've spent a fair bit of time fly fishing. If you're just getting into it from the start, and it's a great form of fishing to get into, then I would definitely go the the JM Gillies um, fly fishing outfit. It's got line, it's got your uh, reel, it's got your rod, um, and they've even got a few flies in there as well. I've got a question for you quickly. Uh, And we spoke about this when we reviewed uh, squid fishing a couple of weeks ago, Pat. Does a squid rod catch more uh, squid than say a whiting rod and I've always said to you trying to save you a dollar if I was on a boat I'd be just using your whiting rod because you're there already but when I'm on land and sorry when if you're a land based serious angler that wants to cast off piers and land and want to get the distance and have a nice tapered rod that you're not going to pull the prongs through the squid's tentacles it's worth spending the money on a good squid rod now a specific eggy rod I should say now coming back to that question regarding your fly fishing will you catch more fish with a sage a sage fly fishing rod which is like you said thousands of dollars than what you will with a 150 to 200 dollar fly rod will you catch more fish that's the question if the question was getting into it so getting into it i just i just don't think you should be spending and you need to spend thousands of dollars on um on rods you just don't um certainly the the difference with with fly fishing is that the rod is incredibly important compared to say squid fishing for example the the how the the lightweight and construction of it really does make a difference to the the distance that you can actually cast you can go the middle band i mean reddington do really nice uh trout rods and and they'll sort of be in those you know anywhere from a couple of hundred to sort of five six hundred dollar range um they they make a, a a nice rod i've actually i've got one of those as well um at the top end, I think it is. It's definitely sage, um, and and one and you can you can match that with a um, with a, a cheap reel, basically because it it's just not as important. Certainly, if you're going to catch really big trout and and those sorts of things, salmon overseas, then yep, you want a better quality rod. But in Australia, with the size of the trout that we have, you could probably you know spend less there. But for starting out, getting into it, go the cheaper option. Before mm-hmm. Pat asks myself the next question. Uh, Casey, just be mindful that you do need to spend a few hundred dollars on a pair of Ray-Bans as we speak about and potentially a new Range Rover also. Sorry, Pat. (laughs) Fire away. (laughs) Last question is from Adam Sims. Uh, Where do I start for snapper this season, Red? I haven't fished yet. If the the borders relax on Sunday, I don't think the borders will relax just quietly. I'm assuming he's thinking the, um, the rules and regs. If they relax Sunday, where do I go? Yeah, so if we are allowed to fish as of tomorrow, uh, Dan the man pulls his finger out as I gaffed him last week and I'm surprised I'm still sitting here now talking to you, to be honest, Pat. But um, I would be definitely heading towards that Clifton Springs region. Now, now listen, it's Saturday. I don't know what the rules and regs are, so please listen. But Clifton Springs area, you can launch in Melbourne. Come, well, what I'm saying this is it's accessible from the Werribee Altona region to Clifton Springs. Black Rock has been fishing fantastic as well. And Chris Cassar fished out the front of the Mornington area because uh, he lives within the five kilometres distance for his house, which he's allowed to do um, on the metro side. 
he um he got some beautiful fish in eight meters of water and that's to come down to what the conditions you're going to have for the week. If you've got a massive onshore southwesterly wind that night and you're heading out that morning, you can get away with fishing nice and close because that water's going to be stirred up and dirty on all those reefs in close up at Black Rock, Ricketts Point and the likes. So let's let's look at the conditions that you're going to have. Make sure you follow my salt guide report too because I'm going to update that as of... What day? As of... Oh, no, I did it the other day. So you'll have a very reasonable report coming up for the next start of next week. It'll be pretty much smack bang to the weather we're going to have if the weather gods don't change for us on the report, Jane Bunn. But make sure you do get out if you can, and hopefully I'll see you on the water soon. Patrick? That was the Social Club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures Facebook or Instagram pages. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. BF Goodrich, $150 cashback offer visit bfgoodridge.com.au for more information and to find your nearest participating dealer this is real adventures for bf goodridge bf goodridge's 150 dollars cashback offer visit bfgoodridge.com.au for more information and to find your nearest participating dealer all aboard for Dometic. From first-time campers to hardcore outdoor adventurers and everything in between, no matter your experience level. Dometic. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for All Aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures big or small. And today it's a Real Adventures Rewind where we'll listen back to a chat we had with David Seaman from the Spooled Magazine where we spoke all about the bass fishing. Good morning, Pat. Thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. Now you're, uh, you're from the Foster region in New South Wales and you're an avid bass fisherman. Yes, yes, that's that's my... My go-to species, if I had to fish for one for the rest of my life, that's it. Now, before we get into the journalism side of things, Redman, I want a little mm-hmm. bit of a, a school me on, on bass fishing because I grew up doing a little bit with, with Dad but was never all that successful. Um, what are the things that you focus on, Dave, when you're, when you're bass fishing? Um, generally, uh, times of the year and the season and, and fish movement. Um, ideally, uh, with a, a good season, we'll get a, a flood or a rise in water around uh, May, June, July, uh, which helps the fish down to spawn. And with that, that mass travel, you get a concentration of fish in certain areas. And then come September, October, um, as they push back up the river, uh, there's concentrated pockets in pools, and there's certain areas in those pools that the light fades and night comes in. They they stack up under rapids and stuff. So you got target areas, and that's that's the best chance of uh, some of the big girls. Social media in the United States is full of incredibly aggressive. Uh, bass fishing videos our Australian bass compared to the states are they as aggressive uh, I think they're probably more aggressive certainly harder fighters but uh, the one thing our bass lack compared to the Americans is they don't jump but oh, right. uh, they've got everything else every other characteristic that makes them a great sports fish you spoke. You spoke about where the actual where you fish for bass, as in rapids and so on. How are you targeting the bass on? An, is, it, is it a variety of techniques, or is it more just your one technique you sort of stick to and just change from that? Um, 
Look, it depends on the water. If it's hard fish water, I'll go to soft plastics and fish relatively slowly. Um, but if we're doing a canoe trip, say paddling through from upper reaches to lower reaches, um, I'll do it, use spinner baits as a search bait, try and find a pocket of fish. Um, and not, not necessarily, like the textbook say, target um, structure like snags, but weed beds can be just as productive and even more so. We've been doing a little but, bit of uh, stalking of your social media, Dave. Um, have you? <laughs> so it's dangerous nowadays. People can find I out know, all about it? you. <laughs> You've got to be careful what you put up. Uh, soft plastics and Mulloway and flathead fishing, it's featured a little bit. Um, Aaron's a really keen Mulloway fisherman, but you've traditionally chased them sort of at night and with baits, Redmond. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not so much uh, into the plastics. We've got a few anglers in here in Victoria who target them with uh, your soft plastics or your vibes and so on. And uh, David, you've obviously landed a couple of Mulloways. We can see on your social media, like Patrick said, on plastics. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm actually going tonight. We've got to change the tide around 5.30. Um, and with that... Uh, no moon period. They we we fish for them um, sort of just before the change of the tide. Uh, generally, <clears throat> where we've got a high tide and the mullet push up onto the weed flats where we fish, and as the tide turns and starts to run out, they filter down into the channel. <clears throat> so we throw a variety of soft plastics, vibes, uh, even hard bodies. Um, I've been trying to get one on a popper, but I've got a lot of buffs, but no hookups. Now, you say popper. <laughs> um, would you find, when you say that, is that, like, I, I explain kingfish very similar. Um, sorry, I explain kingfish different to tuna, because would it be the same with a mulloway? Because a tuna, yes, you'll see a tuna breach out of the water, and you'll see them constantly trying to chase bait out of the water. Where a kingfish, you never really see a kingfish actually pushing out of the water. Do you reckon that's similar with a mulloway, why you can't get one on a popper, or haven't got one as such? Oh, I haven't got one yet, but um, the where we're fishing is, I suppose, it'd be between two and three metres deep. And as the mullet come off the weed flats, they actually, the mulloway sit underneath them and push them closer to the surface. Yep. So it's not so much, uh, it's a sort of... Uh, an area that the fish are targeting and they'll come up and there's a lot of tail slaps where they come up and roll try to grab the mullet and as they roll the tails come out of the water but uh, no it's just where they push the mullet if the mullet are high in the water column you'll get a lot of buffs if they're sort of mid to lower water column you'll get them on the hard bodies and uh, and soft plastics. Dave, let's talk about your fishing history and your journalism. How did it? How did you get into it? Where did it all start for you? Um, look, the earliest photo I have of myself uh, was on the Murrumbidgee River. I used to live in Wagga, and um, I was about three years old. I can remember vividly my first fish, fish which was about a two-kilo carp, which isn't... Uh, anything to write home about but <clears throat> when you're five years old uh, you know it's it's massive you don't care what it is and uh, from that I uh, I secured a column with fish uh, fishing news 
um, a magazine that Patrick Blake used to edit when I was 14, and I've been doing it ever since. There you go. The last 42 years, just writing for all the different national magazines, being commissioned by others, and now I'm right into the photography. So... Unfortunately, that does expose your age slightly. Um, yeah, that long, that that long in the industry. Where's the biggest change for you? Obviously, we've seen a huge change in electronics over the past ten years, um, and just the yeah. advances in in technology there. But in terms of whether it be lure design, what's been the big changes for you in the industry that's made it easier to catch fish, or or, or perhaps the other way that's been more challenging? Which you know, social media for for all it's good has made fishing challenging because it, it opens the doors to a lot of people that, that wouldn't necessarily be aware of captures in different areas. Yeah, and it, yeah, that's right. And it, it exposes areas. Uh, look at the flogging Copeton Dam tops now uh, for the cod. It is um, an open book. Once upon a time, you used to have to buy the magazine, read it, um, get your clues and hints from whoever was writing in it. And now uh, you can Google anything. Um, And the diversity of tackle, um, like when I first started bass fishing, you could hold more or less all your lure collection in your hand. Mm. Now you've got, you know, 100 colours of the same bloody uh, lure and different shapes, sizes, suspending, sinking, rattling. So it... It it opens up to the angler um, diversity as far as tackle is concerned, but then they've got to make decisions. And we all have our favourite lures. Um, for bass, uh, soft plastics, I like uh, shrimp pattern soft plastics. Like the gulp uh, two-inch shrimp in camo, That's you probably see that a lot in my bass picks but uh, it's just one of those lures that it matches the shrimp that are in the river and especially early season where they've been down they've spawned and they're trying to put on a bit of condition shrimp are the easiest things for them to eat and uh, they're good protein well dave we really appreciate your time uh coming on real adventures this morning um We've loved what you've done with Spooled, a new magazine that's mm. out online, but also many others uh, that you've been involved with. Thanks for coming on Real Adventures this morning. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Anytime. David Seaman, Fishing Journal with Spooled, Fishing World, Hooked Up Magazine, and many, many more. That was our Real Adventures Rewind, and now it's time for Red's Review. Patrick, off the start of the show, you spoke about what you were going to review today regarding uh, setting up your sheds and a bit of storage. Take it away. Yes, well, my shed is just about finished. The house isn't too far away now, Redmond, so hopefully post uh, footy in Queensland, we'll head back and the house will just be about done. There's one thing that I do want to do myself, though, because uh, if you're like me and you love tinkering with anything in your shed, it's just it's some sort of uh, therapeutic sort of activity I think it is so reviewing this morning Pinnacle Hardware and you can get Pinnacle Hardware at Bunnings and that's where where we found them so whether you're the serious DIYer backyard tinkerer or any business with a workshop that's looking for a storage solution um, Pinnacle's 
to be found at Bunnings, as I said, but their website has a really, really good um, online guide of everything when it comes to, to shed storage. It's all modular, meaning you can constantly move it. So if you get sick of the configuration in your shed, well, it's all easy to move. They're really easy to to assemble as well. There's online videos. Um, the finish on most of the equipment that they have is all matte black, powder-coated, so it's really durable. It's obviously very, very heavy-duty. Um, and whether it's pegboards, um, there's a new timber um, top workbench, there's modular drawer units, and there's obviously the industrial side of the um, storage and the shelving that they have so um, when it comes to that side of things there's the real heavy duty set that they have which you could find in any sort of workshop almost Um, and then there's sort of your at home sort of storage setup that can be a bit more simpler in terms of its construction and that side of things when it comes to um, all the accessories that you have with it there's hooks that attach to all their pegboards screwdriver racks storage trays uh and plenty of other sort of um, mobile storage units that they have, whether it's uh, drawer units uh, and slimline cabinets. So uh, Pinnacle Hardware is our reg review for today. As we said, you can find it at Bunnings. We should, we're just about due for a Bunnings sponsorship with how much we've spoken about them today, Redmond. Um, but they really are a, a thing of beauty, really well designed. Uh, that's what I'm working through at the moment. So that is reg review. And when, uh, when Bunnings have their left-handed screwdriver, we'll contact them. Nicely done, Patrick. That was Red Review. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. It's time for Red's Tip, Redmond. Yeah, it is. And today, I'll actually come off the back of uh, fitting out my boat, to be honest with you. So today's review is VHF versus 27 meg. Now, the reason that I speak about this is Andrew from Melbourne Marine, we had a discussion about you on a 27 in there as well. I contemplated putting both in, but in the end, I ended up just going the VHF. Now, I would definitely go the VHF over your 27 meg. And by rules and regs, you are allowed to have a 27 meg as your offshore radio, but the VHF is just safer. And not only that, it's easy to talk to your mates to and whatnot when you are out fishing. It gets a distance of up to 20 kilometers. Now you've got to understand this depends on obviously elements during the day. You've got wind, you've got weather, you've got rain and cloud and all whatnot, but up to 20 kilometers along water, which is pretty bloody good. As you get closer into the shore, it'll be a little bit further. And then your 27 meg along the water will probably only be around that sort of eight kilometers pad. So it's a big, big difference in distance. And a lot of the time when you are uh, when you are communicating with people, sometimes they can be a long way. If you're chasing the tuna and someone's at Cape Otway, uh, sorry, Cape Otway, or it could be Cape Otway, Apollo Bay, but I was meant to say Cape Bridgewater and Cape Nelson right down to Cape Grant. So it's a fair bit of water between you and it might be the matter of catching a fish because there's not a lot of phone reception out there. So VHF is the way that I would go over the 27 megahertz uh, when you're definitely kitting out a boat. But like I said before, the option is you can go two. I have got space to put two in if I really needed to. The benefit of having two, Pat, is if you do want to do that little bit of a secret talk and you just say to your mate, little secret word, we'll call it popcorn, and you say popcorn, then all of a sudden he goes over to the 27 meg channel and you can tell him where the fish are without anyone else knowing. So that's the only reason that I'd have that 27 meg. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right, Pat, it's now time for the flying gaff. And today, you've actually got a pretty good one today. So uh, both of us are going to take us through this. Fire it away. 
Yeah, it's fascinating what's happening at the moment uh, with recreational fishos in SA uh, being outraged by the commercial targeting spawning aggregations of yellowtail kingfish uh, in the Upper Spencer Gulf as they should be on the government to bring in uh, an end to the, the netting that's currently happening. Now, we've all seen the snapper fishery in SA. My opinion, it's, it was the best snapper fishery in Australia. Um, and unfortunately, with what's happening now, there's obviously bans in place because we're trying to, um, to bring that snapper fishery to where it once was. Um, so important for, for recreational fishers in, in South Australia, but also the tourism that so many local towns um, really rely upon. But the concerns are that the same thing that happened to the snapper could very well happen with the yellowtail kingfish in South Australia, simply because these commercial fishers now are using drones to locate these schools and then wiping it virtually all of them out in, in incredible speed, which we haven't seen before. And these are fish weighing between 20 and 50 kilos almost, containing millions and, yeah, containing millions and millions of eggs um, that are critical, clearly, to the sustainability of the kingfish fishery. And these are being delivered to, to fish markets. So there's real concern with this at the moment, Aaron. And I know for a fact that years ago that the kingfish stopped showing up around, for example, the Port Phillip Bay heads. Now, they're making a return. And that comes back to the trappers that were back down there. And they stopped. They did a massive regulation cut on that. And they basically saved the kingfish fishery well, in the bottom half of Australia, I guess you could say, right up to the New South Wales. Now, they really need to, they need to get their butts out of gear and fix this because, like you said before, Technology has come so far that now the fish basically have no chance. They can, will not survive this. If they are able to take two tonnes of quotas of yellowtail kingfish that are carrying our eggs, that means our fishery will be shut down very, very quickly, I believe. And I am one that is all for commercial fishing. I do enjoy... I, I like commercial fishing. I think it's great that people can go buy seafood. I think there's enough for everyone. But this needs to be maintained and sustainable and made more sustainable than what it is because it's getting out of hand. South Australia, Pat, is the only place that they can use netting to catch yellowtail kingfish. So, I don't know. I, I, I think it needs to be thoroughly looked at and whether it's quotas changed or the way they do things change I don't know I'm not into the politics side of it but something needs to be done and you and I stand here and 100% support the fact and this uh, I guess this proposal from recreational anglers to the government to get this sorted anyway you have been listening to Real Adventures Patrick best of luck tonight pull your finger out like you did last week you played very well and so did the other boys everyone I don't care. Stuff Collingwood. Go Cats. And uh, hope, the, uh, hope the Lions uh, get done tonight. See you next week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.